Hey guys, it's Alfredo. This is Brian. And this is Film Purgatory. So thank you guys for joining us once more this week, a special Middle Earth week with our special guest, Jose. Hey guys, how's it going? You might recognize me from some of the TikToks. I don't know if you guys are tuning in. Definitely should subscribe, follow it up. Hey, I like that. I like that uh, a little promotion there. Jose is a Lord of the Rings specialist. That's why we invited him on the show today to try to help us out. I'm excited about this one. I'm excited about Lord of the Rings. It's a captivating franchise. I mean, it's a classic. Mm. Who hasn't heard of Lord of the Rings? Right. In some way, shape, or form, even if you're not into the fantasy realm, you know what the story's about. Right. Kind of like Star Wars. Okay. Everyone knows what it's about. Mm. Would you Would you say that it's as big as Star Wars? I wouldn't say it's as big. Mm -hmm. Definitely didn't make as much of an impact. And it came later on. So it's a little more recent and more fresh in people's memory mm -hmm. versus those fond memories of something as, you know, historic as Star Wars and leaving such a long lasting impression. Right. What Star Wars did to the space adventure story, it brought space to life. Right. It brought all this, this whole genre out of all these space adventures. I feel like Lord of the Rings did that for the medieval fantasy realm. Mm -hmm all these branched out uh, stories, it's, I feel like it's really impacted the culture in the same way. It's inspired a lot of franchises that we know of today. When I was recently watching these movies, I couldn't help but think of, of Game of Thrones. And this franchise had that much of a cultural impact on several other shows. I did watch the, the Lord of the Rings movies as a child, but I rewatched them as an adult because I figured I could have a better appreciation for them. One thing that stood out were the effects. Okay. Like it doesn't seem like the movie is that old. Mm -hmm. And I think going back to, let's say what you said about Star Wars, one thing about Star Wars is the effects held up for a long time. Right. It's been too long. It doesn't hold up now. But right. for a while, the movies looked amazing. Mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings as well. Now, you jump on Game of Thrones. What did they do that was also great? The effects. Right. Game of Thrones will hold up well also, in my opinion, for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So I think when you have these sci-fi worlds these fantasy worlds regardless of you know the content i think if it looks amazing it will hold up for a long time oh absolutely i feel like one of the biggest selling points of game of thrones was basically it was more of an adult themed lord of the rings mm -hmm. you know lord of the rings did have the captures and the depth philosophically the war everything but i feel like game of thrones did kind of try to bring more of a gorier aspect a lot more sexual content Right. Whereas Lord of the Rings was more family friendly. And I feel that Lord of the Rings was one of the first to really bring that gruesome combat of sword fighting and massive armies to the table. When you finally see Sauron's army amassed at the gates of Minas Tirith, and they're trying to tear it down with trolls and weapons and ladders. And um, what's that thing that knocks down the main gates, the barricade? Baseball bat. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the, bat the battering ram. The battering ram. So they're coming in with this hellish device and it's just beautiful. Honestly, it's chaotic. It's so well choreographed. The scenery's there. And that's something that definitely has held up over time, in my opinion. Right. No, that's a good point. I like, uh, I like the accents. Brian, let's do accents this, this week. I'm not good with accents. I think I, I, I've, no, I've, I've established that. I'm just... Let's do that. I can be a judge. Like, I, like New, I, I think, you know, we know Jose's good with accents. New Zealand. You, you like trying the accents. New, New Zealand accents. I have no idea what a New Zealand accent is. I'm, like. do, I'm doing it now. It's the Hobbit. It's the Hobbit? I don't know. I'm not really sure. That's disrespectful to New Zealanders out that are listening. Come on. Hey, New Zealand. Shout out to New Zealanders. <laughs> Thank you for subscribing. So let's get into it. Let's get into Middle Earth. So... If I'm not mistaken, Lord of the Rings was based off a book, right? Yeah, it was a, a large 
novel, right? I think it was, a, it was many books, and it was just huge books. They were known for being so big. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was a trilogy of books after The Hobbit. So they basically dove deeper into Middle-earth, and they carved out the realm, like we said. Who did that? Tolkien. J.R.R. Uh, Tolkien. Okay, very nice. Which, getting into it, I think his name, uh, Alfredo, John Roald, Ronald Tolkien. Ronnie. Ronnie Tolk. I like that. I like that he simplified it to just J.R.R. Right. It's a lot simpler. It's a little catchy. So he wrote this novel in 1948. So we have to gather um, from the background of this time period where he got the inspiration from. Now, if you know Tolkien's background and his life story, I believe he served in World War One, which is oh. where he got a lot of the inspiration from. Um, the fellowship being, you know, the bond of brothers at war, you know, going on a mission and trying to save your loved ones missing home all of these aspects are things seen in frodo's journey which i feel token really wrote into his own character he was drafted he wasn't a soldier by heart so he carries that with him yeah that's cool i like that that adds a good little touch i think to to the the, the context of the entire story because i really had no idea this is the first time i'm hearing that the author was born over a hundred years ago and served in a war that was over a hundred years ago that's that's news to me. I honestly have no idea. <clears throat> it gives me a lot of context. I think it, it makes a lot of sense, I guess, with the time period and all the, the lore that came to, came to mind and the scenery. Right. I'm sure he saw a lot of beautiful and grotesque at the same time. Right. You know, with nature, but also the inhumane stuff going on uh, during war. It was conveyed very well. P I believe Peter Jackson would be the director for this movie, uh, for all three movies of Lord of the Rings. And I'm pretty sure The Hobbit as well. But it was conveyed very well. Jose, what is the, I guess, accuracy with the movies as compared to with the books? Because a lot of the times when you have film adaptations from books, you get a lot of backlash because either they're not sticking to the source material or they're just way off. So what, what's the accuracy we're looking at? Well, if you go online, this is something that's been debated a lot for a while. And I really feel that you know the writing quality actually when it was written back in the day you know first critics they weren't too receptive of the books mm -hmm. and if you read them yourself there are parts that kind of drag out but that being said i feel like peter jackson really devoted a lot of time and if you look at how they worked and what they put into these movies they really tried to capture every detail mm -hmm. and ev they felt that every aspect was important in this story and telling frodo's journey along with the rest of the cast of the fellowship nice i mean i, I find it interesting that it took so long for these for these books to become movies to be adapted because i mean i look i look at some other shows maybe uh game of thrones right right it took them 20 plus years to get it on air because the original book was in 1980 something sometime in the 80s okay. and uh you look at other novels who were adapted sooner rather than later and a lot of movies get i guess you say they get shit on you know right. it's like they didn't do a good job maybe it was too too close to the timing of, of of when this book was released i think sometimes the 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 audiences need to just wait okay maybe that's what's best who knows i'm not sure what goes into it but i feel like these fantasy worlds as long as they're somewhat unique you know they'll, they'll take off if only the producers and directors of game of thrones would have listened to you for season eight that would have been pretty good that really would have been amazing <laughs> i would have loved that Jose, what can you tell us about Middle-earth or what's the what's this place called? So Middle-earth is actually just a portion of this realm called Arda, 
which okay. is similar to Earth. I mean, we can see different climates, different mountain regions, scenery from all over. That kind of resembles Earth, but they, again, this being a medieval fantasy, they are exaggerated in a sense. Now, the story actually focuses on just Middle Earth. Middle Earth being almost like a continent here. So this realm revolves around almost an apocalyptic event that happened uh, thousands of years ago in which this one malevolent being called Sauron made this one powerful ring and he handed out rings to other kings of power. The final one he forged being his ring was to bind them all and make him his slaves. Wow. And in doing that, he was able to conquer Middle Earth. The races gathered together and fought back and were able to resist his power and pretty much cast him away. However, the ring remained. Um, and that's what this whole mission is about. This whole story is bringing this ring across this giant journey. And they know that if they break this ring in Mount Doom, if they're able to destroy it somehow, then it'll be stopped and Sauron will have no connection to this earth and he will be done. His army's laid to waste. Yeah, because uh, Mount Doom is where this was, the ring was forged, right? Absolutely. So that's the only place that it can be destroyed. This ring is so powerful that the only thing that can destroy it is the original source that created it, which was the lava and fires in Mount Doom. Nice. Previously, when Sauron was taken down, it was by multiple armies of each race banding together to resist right. him. And that was the only force that was able to stop him. This time around, we don't have armies. We have the most unexpected crowd here, Samwise Gamgee, Frodo Baggins, Merry, and Pippin, um, representing the Shire with the Hobbits. We have Aragorn and Boromir basically representing humans, and we have Legolas representing elves, Gimli representing dwarves, Gandalf the Grey. So the fellowship is important because they actually have representatives of each of the races in it, and their mission being to stop Sauron like they did years ago. However, instead of armies, just this small group of people trying to bring the ring across Middle Earth to Mordor in secrecy because an army's gonna get noticed, but they won't. Damn, that's cool. So, uh, Sauron's a douche. Damn. Skadoosh. Skadoosh. Like, All right, that's like cool. Just like many other fantasy worlds, Lord of the Rings does have, I assume, many races, or at least not just races, but powerhouses, kind of like a certain type of character that they all kind of relate, they all kind of look similar, and they all are different. They have their differences compared to humans and, you know, the other races within the, the lore. How many would you say are of significance and what role do they play in this lore, in the grand scheme of things? Based on the lore, when we dive a little deeper, you have the elves which have their own culture, they're immortal almost, so they live for many, many years. And that being said, it shows through the way that they navigate this realm. You can tell that they're one with the earth. They have extra longevity, more wisdom. They have better technology, um, in a sense, because it really is magical. Then you compare it to the dwarves who are more miners. They're more a culture of living in the mountains. And it kind of resembles humanity with different aspects of different regions coming together and things like that, like in the olden days different cultures from vikings from your knights to samurais and things like that but i feel the most important one is the hobbits i okay. mean they're the focal point of the story yes you have your main hero of aragorn which is your typical knight in shining armor your typical you know heavy duty you know i can fight and hold off an army on my own but the hobbits aren't you know, they're half the size of a regular human. They're a very peaceful race. They don't really make weapons. They don't really do anything like that. What they are good at is being sneaky and getting along with people and socializing. And this is really the tale of an underdog. Right. And that goes for the whole race. 
you don't really see too much of the hobbits besides the intro and the outro because that's his home at the end of the day the story takes over with the different races that we spoke about earlier the dwarves the elves and the main one being mankind okay Jose, would you say that the hobbits are kind of like more for reconnaissance and intel of this fantasy world and this lore for for the humans and obviously all the other warriors as you mentioned absolutely it's discussed in the first film actually the reason that gandalf really didn't underestimate the hobbits is because of his previous adventures with bilbo which is frodo's uncle at this time he's super old and he's pretty much done with his adventuring and he leaves it on frodo but bilbo was known as being the thief and bilbo was not a thief by nature he's not a bad guy but he went on a mission with gandalf and he was the sneakiest they were very good at blending in very quiet very small so they're easy to hide nimble and that's what they're good at they are also very cunning so it's kind of like a little trickster like a bugs bunny type of character in a sense nice. um and we see that in the beginning when they're dodging the ring wraiths um granted it was a very tense scene it was very frightening you know the ring wraiths actually creeped me out i think they did a great design on them but you see that the hobbits are crafty they'll hide they get away and eventually they try to seek help and recover and they're able to actually get away from the ring rates which we've seen are very deadly they were able to take on you know soldiers and men uh in different towns leading up to it without remorse so what are ring rates so ring rates are the actual humans that used to have the rings given okay. by Sauron. Nice. there's nine of them so they fell under the corruption and now they are wandering souls that do his bidding for him and they all feed off of the power of the ring. Okay. Okay, so I know the beginning of the story of the first movie starts with Frodo and his uncle having possession of that ring. So are, are you saying these ring wraiths are attracted to that ring? Like, you know, are they hunting it? What, what is what is the deal with, with them and the ring? So what's funny about the story is this ring has been almost dormant for so long and it seemed almost an innocent trinket but gandalf sees that this ring could be more sinister than he originally anticipated it's not just a ring of power it could be the ring of power and what happens is bilbo puts it on after many years of not having used it to disappear and in that flash i feel that sauron was able to sense it and later we see this frodo is trying to run away from the ring rates after they've been sent out after the ring and when they arrive in the shire and he's hiding from them he slips it on and they can sense him they almost turn direction and they chase after him mm -hmm. so there's definitely a connection and they are just trying to obtain it to give it back to Sauron so that he can come in power and conquer all of Middle Earth in an apocalyptic event again so what are orcs then so orcs are actually the minions of Sauron and they're a race in and of themselves and they're actually a sad story so in the film they're depicted as just being fully devoted to Sauron but you don't really know why at the beginning it's kind of like they're just his army and that's just where the creatures come from but they actually used to be elves which were introduced to early on in the forest elves being as i said earlier depicted as these mystical beings very knowledgeable very wise and very powerful now sauron being one of the most powerful was able to corrupt these elves and basically make them into his soldiers kind of like fallen angels wow would you say so is that what happened to the Urukai? Is that the same thing? No, the Urukai are definitely their own race. Um, Saruman actually pulled them out from the depths and caverns of Isengard, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which is where he has his tower. 
so below basically when you would dig these creatures were just burrowing in there almost like you know kind of like mole men if you think about it but they're depicted as demonic almost like beings coming from the depths of hell that's kind of the the implication i got you know saying like these almost black as tar beings coming out of the goo and the ground and and they just look so ugly and 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 you know they some of them uh they all had this dark like tar like skin but some did look like the elves and now that you explain that it does make sense to me okay i understand some because they did look different there were uh, uh there was a distinction between some of these ugly looking creatures and I understand, okay, some were used to be elves, and the others are the Urukai that you, that you just right, mentioned. Right, right. Okay. So both were, were synthetic. They were made. Not, not necessarily born, but like they were made. Now, one of my favorite and almost least talked about race in Lord of the Rings is a very underappreciated one, is the Ents. These are the talking trees that are depicted in Two Towers. And oh, okay. as we saw in Fellowship of the Ring, when Frodo and Sam get separated from Merry and Pippin, they get taken by the Urukai, thinking that they captured Frodo and Sam and that they're bringing the ring to their master. Oh, yeah, I always wondered why they didn't kill him there. That was so dumb. Okay, that makes sense. Well, their orders were to bring them alive just in case so that if they had hid the ring, they would be able to find it. Saruman not wanting to disappoint Sauron because he had already pledged himself to someone that he's really scared of. Right. Now, the Ents, they basically have just lived in the forest for so long that they don't really interact too much they don't move too much they're very slow because time passes differently for them than it does the other races okay they don't typically get involved however when the urukai were being created that we mentioned earlier saruman goes to the forest and starts burning them down to use as fuel for the war machine that he's creating that's messed up pretty symbolic i would say you know what I'm saying? Like, nature's fighting back. Okay, Not for nice. humans, for their own sake. Right, right, It's like, well, we're allies because, you know, the enemy of your enemy is my friend. Right, right. So it's like, we're going to have to band together and, and take this guy down because he's burning burning our, our family, our, you know, our, our species, right? The ants, the talking trees. He's burning us down. Mm. And on top of that, drilling into the earth, you know, you building this machine, as you said, uh, Jose. Uh, so it's, it's pretty cool. You know, I like the symbolism there and nature having to fight back against the, the evil, powerful... Uh, forest killing people Ooh. how about that i like that you imagine a tree squaring up with you i think i can take it i'm just saying i'm a little more scared of an ant than a lorax at least you know i'm really glad he went with this direction yeah, for real. considering no one was expecting it like i said very underappreciated race here if you think about it the whole time we're suspecting that aragorn gimli and legolas are gonna go and you know get rohan to muster up and fight back against isengard and eventually they do however the main war machine of Isengard and Saruman himself is taken out by, like Brian said, nature itself. Mm-hmm. They fought back, they resisted, the natives did not let them occupy. And it's so ironic that Saruman the Wise would be so taken down by his own pride and his own lack of wisdom right. in this sense. So you had mentioned uh, Legolas and, and Gimli, those being the elf and the dwarf companions of Aragon being the human that make up the Fellowship of the Ring and these guys are played by pretty notable actors you know we have Viggo Mortensen playing Aragon Orlando Bloom is Legolas I don't know who who Gimli is but we have a lot of good good actors Elijah Wood Sir Ian McKellen Andy Serkis you have a pretty good cast here so I feel like Peter Jackson had a very good team to convey the story you forgot Liv Tyler 
Oh yeah, fuck yeah, that's. And then so Liv Tyler's cool. father, Agent Smith from The Matrix. Yeah, that's true. I have to I have to use the, this you know association because I don't not I do not know his name. I'm sorry, but that's how I know them. I'm good with faces, so definitely a lot of recognizable faces. And then you forgot Sean Bean, Ned Stark. Oh yeah, I mean, cause like he died. I doesn't he, he died, died in, in Game of Thrones too? What do you mean? No, that's not a spoiler. I don't want to hear nothing, guys. No, for real, yeah. Come on, Y'all if you haven't seen this. it already. You know what's funny? Sean Connery read for the role of Gandalf, but he didn't understand the the script, so he just quit. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I'm so glad that Sir Ian McKellen got that role oh, instead of, of Sean Connery. Oh, of course. I did not. Oh my goodness. I, I didn't even know that and I'm very very glad Ian McKellen took that because I don't think anybody else would have done Gandalf justice the way he did I think I, I don't want to hear Sean Connery's lisp no, of either course. <laughs> I think that can be said for a lot of actors in this movie a lot of other options that were being thrown out there were Nicolas Cage being uh, Aragon Vin Diesel being Aragon Jake Gyllenhaal auditioned for Frodo Family yeah <laughs> it would have been called Family of the Ring <laughs> Liam Neeson was offered uh, the role of Boromir. That would have been too bad. That would not have been too nah, bad. I'm not really sure. But again, <laughs> like I like I mentioned before, this was very well casted. And it's hard to imagine any of these characters being played by different actors because it was very well made. It was very well portrayed. It was, it was the characters. I, I had no complaints when it comes to the characters. So as you guys know, this movie was shot simultaneously within one year. That's really a testament to these actors. The, the schedule must have been a nightmare. A lot of dedication to this one franchise. I mean, that's why. I mean, imagine a marathon of that. That's a 12-hour shift. So it kind of drags on a little bit, but there was a lot of key details that were added in there that really add depth to the characters. And that's what we were talking about earlier when we said Peter Jackson does a good job of bringing these books to life. However, he does trim a little bit of the fat, I feel, in the story. That being said, he does give you the theatrical cut, which is kind of getting to the point, but the extended cut goes in deeper and gives you that extra lore that you really want to dive into if you're that kind of fan. Right. Okay, one key point that I wanted to, to mention would be the storytelling itself, the type of storytelling that, that Peter Jackson chooses for this movie, and that would be viewpoint narrative. It, at one instance, you get Frodo's viewpoint of, of what he's going through, his mission, and then it cuts off into let's say Gandalf's story or Aragon's story and then you get uh, Merry and Pippin's story so it gives you a story but in a lot of different viewpoints at the same time and I hate to bring this up again but like I just you just can't help but make this comparison but Game of Thrones does the same thing it, within their show you know you'd have Arya's story then all of a sudden you'd have Jamie's story and then it cuts off into Bran's story. Lord of the Rings almost sort of initiated that type of, of storytelling. It was very unique. Absolutely and another key component of this like we said before is the cinematography and the scenery of it. Lord of the Rings takes you through all these different regions that show you this is the mystical land. Kind of like Game of Thrones does where we're going to Daenerys and we're seeing a desert environment kind of like Dorne as well but different cultures, different people. Um, then we cut to something more like the Greyjoys where it's more Viking culture and again Lord of the Rings does this as well. Whenever we're talking about the elves we have this mystical in tune with nature feel where they're one with the forest. They have a very almost omnipotent knowledge of life um, and they even have foresight which we've seen in some instances. It really goes to say that it's a testament to how much influence this had on culture and film in general. Right. 
like we mentioned before, this this franchise influenced a lot of different other franchises and has been a key component in a lot of elements that we in our shows that we in movies that we like. But you did mention something, Jose, and that would be the the scenery. This was shot in New Zealand, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes, sir. Fantastic. It looks great. I kind of want to move up there. That's crazy. Or down there. Oh, yeah. It's gorgeous. I mean, if you look at the Shire, like I said earlier, that's basically that homey feeling, that grass meadows, that Garden of Eve feeling. And again, there was other places shot, like in the mountains, for example, where we are seeing things like Mordor, where we're seeing um, them traveling between Rohan and Gondor and so on and so forth. And one of the other key moments that I really loved was the portrayal of the battlefield when we actually get to Mordor. This is, you know, the big bad place. This is the place we've been talking about for how many hours and how many films now. And when we finally arrive there, we see that it's this desolate, barren landscape just crowded by mountains. And as we see that Aragorn makes his last stand with whatever surviving band is left to fight just to give Frodo a dying chance with his distraction, it really shows a tense emotion. It really captures the feeling of war. But I feel like that tension was really added in there due to another fact of the scenery. A little known fact was that that landscape was actually an old battlefield and there was actually devices left in the sand. So not that anything was going to happen, but it was more of a at your own risk. The actors had to sign the disclosure to get in there. Oh, wow. So imagine this entire trope, this entire army walking across this desert and you're kind of scared that there's still some landmines there. I'm just saying, some of that acting really brings out your, your yeah, fear. Really. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So that was Lord of the Ring, guys. Uh, fantastic, impactful, superb franchise. Definitely check them out. Brian, I'm pretty sure you can watch it somewhere. I just... HBO Max. Max to the max level. So yeah, guys, definitely check it out if you haven't already. Watch this, the first three. If you're really up to it, they do have the extended cuts. About an hour extra. An hour extra. Each movie. It's uh, pretty long. (laughs) It's a long, it's a long movie. Fredo, so what movies have you seen or anything you want to talk about? So I haven't seen anything, but my uncle did see Old. He went to the movies with with his kids to see Old, and he does not recommend it whatsoever. Yeah, I'm not, I mean, I don't recommend any M. Night Shyamalan movie from the last, like, 10 years. You you have to give M. M Night a chance simply because of, of The Sixth Sense. Nah, I don't think like so. That, that's that was a really good movie. It so. was good. Oh, I'm not de- I'm not denying that, but I don't. I'm sorry. He he had the happening. He had the Avatar movie. Now he has old, and then he did the glad the Mister the glass or split wasn't bad. The split was good. The, the sequel to Split was the bad right. one. I so it, what it was called Old Mister Glass. Just because of those movies, I would give it a chance. But yes, my uncle does not recommend it. It just didn't make sense. It was weird. It wasn't. Uh, Living up to the hype, basically. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. It's up to you guys if you guys want to go out there, take that risk. But, uh, not recommended. The movie that I, we're looking forward to, that that we hope lives up to the hype, would be Suicide Squad. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Because James Gunn did a great job with Guardians of the Galaxy. It's probably my favorite Marvel duology, I guess you could say. Well, I know a third one's coming, but definitely my favorite so far, aside from the uh, Avengers movies. Dance off, bro. I didn't like that scene specifically, but the movies are really funny. So yeah, guys, old Suicide Squad, definitely check them out. Or not, I don't know, up to you. (laughs) So next week, Brian, what are we getting into? Next week, Pirates of the Caribbean. Caribbean. Is it Caribbean? 
Pirates of the Caribbean, Pirates of the Caribbean. I'm not sure. I'm going to say Caribbean. Okay. America. That's fine. <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, next week. Definitely check it out, guys. That's a pretty good franchise. I like it. It's fun. It has a lot of content. Uh, great actors. A couple right. of great actors. And one familiar face, familiar name that we'll mention next week. Ooh. That was also in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Ooh. So just a disclaimer, we're going to cover the first three movies. Yes. Which would be the only ones worth mentioning. Sorry, not sorry. Not sorry. Okay. And I'm also not sorry that I'm not Shyamalan. <laughs> so definitely check it out next week, guys. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Jose, thank you so much for being our special guest. Super informative. Always a pleasure working with you guys. Thanks for having me. And please, guys, remember to follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and um, turn your notifications on so you know when we post. We're making reels now pretty funny. We have TikTok as well. Nice. Film underscore purgatory. Ooh. That's, gonna, that's our name on all social, social media platforms. Very nice. Thank you guys again, and we will see you next week.